Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, came up behind, behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been dumb spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. I commend that word to you. And all of the sayings of Jesus and his actions whilst he was on this earth. Let's pray. Father God, we pray, hear our prayers as we acknowledge your wisdom and your love for us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, for his living example of obedience and unconditional love, loving us regardless of who we are or where our paths have led us in this life. Father, forgive us our sins, cleanse our hearts so that our prayers might be worthy. We are thankful to you for keeping us as your own people, for your promise to remove us from under, the, under Satan's hand, for bringing us safely into your kingdom. We pray for those who have yet to submit to your will, that your Holy Spirit might present the truth and the promises of your gospel to them, whether it be through the efforts of your servants or the influence of our living amongst them. We pray for your mercy, Father, upon all of your servants who are suffering physical conditions which inhibit life and drain enthusiasm to the point of frustration and, and despair, that you might see fit to alleviate their conditions and give them a measure of peace and confidence in their faith.
For those who mourn, give them peace, Father, and rest through your Holy Spirit. For those who struggle with anxiety and depression, we ask that you might bless them with courage and the power of faith, with the knowledge of your everlasting love. We ask for your mercy on all who are ill or suffering in any way, that you might relieve them of their troubles and restore them in both body and mind. We thank you that Carl and Marie have found a new church home where they can be encouraged and also give encouragement to those whom you have placed in that congregation. We pray for those who yearn for the blessings that we enjoy, that you might reward faithfulness and righteousness with your blessings of peace and quietness of heart and the, encourage, and the encouragement of fellowship with others who also acknowledge you as Lord. We thank you for those who are close to us, our families and friends. We pray for their continued safety and health and for their ultimate salvation. We ask that your Holy Spirit might touch their hearts and their minds, that they might recognise Jesus as their Lord and worship him. We pray for the upcoming referendum event, that it might be a peaceful occasion, that the result might be in accordance with your will, that racial discontent might be avoided and not set in place by the results. We also ask, Lord, that you might intervene in all lawmaking processes, especially when the principles of truth, of righteousness and freedom of speech become criticised and condemned as divisive and unfair. That your true church and the, tr and the truth of the gospel might continue to operate freely and without restraint in this country. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, our Lord and our Saviour, Father, you are our God and we are your people. Amen. Morning, everyone. Morning. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, please lead us as we look at your word. Help us to understand and to hear. Uh, change us, we ask, and make us open to what you are like and what you ask us to be. We pray all these things and keep me from error, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've uh, got to the end of this section. I've been saying this section for a while and uh, we've finally got to the end of this section from chapter 8, verse 1 to 9.35. And verse 35 is a pretty good summary of what we've just been doing. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. We've seen that Matthew has been telling us that the Masonic, the Messianic, not the Masonic, my goodness, the Messianic age is here. The kingdom of God 
has arrived. Follow was a word I kept asking you to look out for. I don't think you find it today, but of course you're finding people who are following. And uh, it's been a big idea. And Jesus's acts have drawn out faith. And you see faith everywhere, as I think we noticed last week, uh, was noticed. Faith in Jesus in this case, the son of David, a term we haven't seen for a while. Firstly, two daughters in verses 18 to 26. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. We're given a ruler. Mark tells us he was a synagogue ruler, but Matthew has not reminded us of, or told us of that. He reminds us of the centurion we bumped into in the early parts of chapter 8 because he has faith. The centurion's servant was sick. The centurion came to Jesus and said, just say the word. Do you remember that? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Here, the ruler's daughter has died. In the ancient world, there was a belief that if someone was dead for three days, they could be revived, that you could put the spirit back into them and live. It's why in John chapter 11, when Lazarus has been dead, it's important for people to say, for John to let you know he's been dead four days. It's too late. But the three days has been offering, and here... Perhaps that's what's happening because Jesus, he thinks, the, the guy who has come, the ruler, he has faith that Jesus will have power perhaps to resuscitate. Elijah and Elisha had done so, 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings uh, 4 and 8. And he says, all you need to do, Jesus, is place your hands upon her. And she will live. And it's sort of, we've seen that the centurion had great faith, we might say. Well, this is enormous faith. His daughter has died. But before we can get to that, we're interrupted. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, part of this story. Verse 20, the interruption does create some tension because we're on our way to do something and you get stopped. Verse 20. A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak. 12 years, we're told. 12 years. And we're then taken inside the head of the woman, which is an interesting thing for Matthew to do. It actually changes our view of what's happening. And we hear what she's thinking in verse 21. If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed, she said to herself. It's an interesting thing for Matthew to do. We get, as I said, we get a new vision, a view of what the woman thinks and how she sees it. But we hear and we feel her great desire. She's desperate. I think we read those words, certainly I do, read them very easily. 12 years of bleeding, I can't imagine what that would be like. 
We get a new sense, we get a sense of her desire to be relieved of this agony. If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. It's not much, is it? If only I touch. It's a confident statement of faith. It's, it's a little bit bizarre, really. It's, if only I touch. You don't even need to talk to Jesus. That's what she thinks. The woman is good as dead. I would suggest to you. So it's, but it's, it comes as some surprise, but maybe no surprise, that Jesus calls her daughter in verse 22. First, we had the ruler's daughter. He turns to her, take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. You remember that we uh, the word for healed and saved is the same word. And it just depends where you put it. In this case, it's perfectly normal to say healed because that's what's happening. But we remember that the healings and salvation are linked. And so you could say your faith has saved you. Because in the end, it means that she is healed. Take heart, daughter, your heart, faith has healed you. Jesus wants what she wants. We've been taken inside her head. We've been shown her heart, if you like. What does she desire? Jesus wants that too, and he repeats her words. Take heart, her faith, her heart of faith. And I wonder if you've, if you've been going along, it's not the first time we've been given that idea of heart. It comes again and again. Heart, of course, is not this lovey-dovey feeling thing. It's actually what it means to be and, and how you direct yourself. What do you want? What are you looking for? What is my heart for this? It involves me, involves my total being. Her heart desire is that she would gain this healing and she gets her heart's desire. And the original says she was saved from that hour, the hour that the dead will be saved. It's that apocalyptic idea again, that time is short, that God is here and he's broken in in the person of Jesus and the dead will live. Her faith has healed her. And so once that's happened, we go back to the daughter. We were on our way. Remember, we were on our way to the ruler of the daughter. When Jesus returned to the ruler's house in verse 23 and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After, after the crowd had been put aside, Outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. Did you notice that? And she got up. Uh, it's even more direct in the original. There's nothing more to say. She got up. <laughs> Jesus arrives at the ruler's house and the drama is going on. It's a drama. 
professional mourners are there, the flute players, it's a great commotion. One of the things I find challenging about doing funerals is sometimes I get there and no one is sad. That's what it feels like. It's odd to do a funeral where no one seems sad that the person died. Sometimes it's because they've lived long enough, in apparently everyone's view is that this person has lived long enough and they're not sad. I always, it always freaks me out a bit. I find I might be the saddest person there. Of course, after people hear me talk for a while, they get sad as well, but that's another story. It's interesting, it's challenging that some of funerals like that are like that today. Here, they have professional mourners and they've turned up and they are making sure that you understand that something horrible has happened. That was the custom of the day. That's what's happening here. And it reminds us and the detail gives us that it's actually a very challenging situation. This girl is dead. So dead that you get the professionals in. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus immediately dismisses them. Go away. The girl isn't dead, not dead. She's sleeping. They laugh. It's not the first time, it's not the last time, sorry, that Jesus will be mocked in Matthew. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says the Messiah will be mocked. So Jesus will as well. He enters the room in verse 25 and takes her hand, which is what the father requested, and he does what the father asked him to do. He took her by the hand and she got up. As again we said, she got up. Jesus took the girl by the hand and the desire of the father's heart is also fulfilled by Jesus. News of this event, it says in verse 26, spread, we can probably think, like wildfire. Which leads us to two men who speak. Two men following Jesus call out, and they are blind and they cry out in verse 27. Have mercy on us, son of David. And they follow Jesus into a house. It could be Jesus's house. That's a possibility. Whose house is it? And they address him as son of David. That's the first time since chapter 1, verse 1, that anyone has said son of David. We're reminded. Matthew was telling us we were reading about the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus, the eternal king, has come, and we're reminded of that fact. Verse 28, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Now as readers, you know, when Jesus asks a question, we could probably reply along with them. Yes. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes. But one of the things that does surprise us about the answer is the second word there. Yes, Lord. 
Uh, we've been reading along, we've aligned ourselves perhaps with Matthew's gospel and what he's trying to say, and we can't help but hear those that word as God, the Lord of all. Do you know, it could be, it's just like saying, sir, but in our, as we've been reading, it, it makes us think of Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. What we notice about the men's reply is they say, Lord, the one who forgives sins, the one who raises the dead, he touches their eyes and he highlights their faith in verse 29. According to your faith will it be done to you, and their sight was restored. Again, we keep being reminded of the faith of everyone who in this section we've read, how Jesus moves and gets faith returned to him. Remember Jesus said about the centurion, I haven't found such faith. Well, we are starting to see that faith emerge. He tells them sternly, See, the, see to it in verse 30, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. It's a strange, odd word, uh, see to it, that, that when it says Jesus sternly told them. It's a very odd word. And the good question is why? Why does Jesus get so emotionally involved in having that suppressed. I suggest it's more, it's about being hounded. It's about the pressure of these things continually coming on him. The idea there is a never ending line of great need because of what's happened. But it tells us that the word spread throughout the region because the word cannot be contained. As Israel, as Jesus moves in Israel, he finds exactly almost what we have thought he would find in the Gentile territory. All the effects of living in of sin and living under the shadow of death are here. And he's continually being confronted with people who are in need. I think this is backed up by the next scene. In uh, the third one, the mute who speaks in verses 32 to 35. The NIV interprets the start of this sentence like this. As they were going away, they refer, they put in Jesus as they. Jesus as Jesus was going away, meaning him and his disciples. I don't think that's right. They put Jesus' name in there because it just says they. I suggest that it's actually the two blind men. As they were going away, we find a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Never that interpretation gives us a sense of as Jesus has done one thing, so there's another thing to do. Remember they followed him into his house, 
possibly. Now there are more coming. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed, could not talk, was brought to Jesus, and when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd were amazed. Nothing like this has been seen, ever been seen in Israel. And we get two recorded responses. The crowds, wow, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel before. And this supports, doesn't it, what we've been seeing and what's been happening. Something incredible is happening that God is opening and has opened the gate, the gate to his kingdom. The kingdom of God is here in Jesus. The Messiah has come. The last days are here. But on the other hand, the Pharisees in verse 34 come up with a different interpretation. It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Wow. <laughs> if I thought the first one was wow, this one is shocking. It's incredible because this accusation will come again in chapter 10, verse 25, in chapter 12, 24 and 27. It maybe means what happens later, Jewish sources will say that Jesus was crucified because he was a sorcerer. He was a magician. And that might be what, what this is pointing to. But of course, Jesus' power and his miracles have been and have occurred to do the complete opposite of evil. Jesus' miracles have occurred to free people under the slavery of sin, to rescue them, those who struggled in the face and under the shadow of death. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease in sickness. We, Matthew actually hasn't shown us Jesus at the synagogues. But the Pharisees have seen him there and when they have heard his teaching and have seen what he's done, their hearts can only see that Jesus has done this through Satan's power. Matthew's Gospel tells us this news is spread and it's spreading fast that the good news of the kingdom has been going and healing every disease and sickness. We are very sure that that's not Satan's work. Deliverance of his people, a people from every nation, will come from this work. Jesus came and God has intervened in the person of Jesus to free us from sin and death, not bind us to it. Not to drag us down, but to release us to life. What we know and what Matthew is telling us is to see and hear and respond with this same faith. And remember, as we've read along, we've been saying, yeah. Jesus came that we might know life. And Matthew here is saying, 
He has given us life in Jesus. That day is coming when Jesus will return and we will know life and his kingdom will be an eternal one. This world will be transformed. We will be transformed and given resurrected bodies and new life with him forever. New heavens, new earth. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that this Jesus is Lord. One day Satan and all his work, including death, will be crushed and it will be no more. And I won't have to be at funerals anymore because there'll be none to boo. And you and I will know him and he will be all in all. This God who has come in Jesus, the God who came that we might have faith in the life and hope of our Lord and Saviour. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, uh, we've been going along in, through Matthew's Gospel and uh, it's been quite thrilling. Thrilling to see how Jesus interacted, how he, was, how he delivered people from all sorts of sickness, from diseases, death and demon. Lord, we praise you and thank you that he came into our world, but we realise that not everyone responds well to it. Lord, we pray that we would be people whose hearts are thrilled. We ask, Lord, that we might know your heart. Your heart was to give us life in our Saviour. We thank you and we worship you and ask that you would transform us to be your people of faith, walking in this world for your glory we pray. Amen.